Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Somebody say anyway. Would you stand with me all over the room? Everybody stand for the reading of the word. If you'll open your Bibles with me or your tablets, your smartphones, your dumb phones, whatever you got it on, to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. I want to teach today from the context of people that often view life through this set of lens. Fill in the blank here. My life would be happier. My life would be easier. My life would be better if I had blank. If I had what? Because most, me, most people I meet... Everything they need to be happy is somewhere else. Everything they need to feel like their life is worthwhile, they haven't yet obtained. So people say this, my life would be happier, it'd be easier if I had more time. But time doesn't change. Time's only 24 hours a day. It never increases. Everybody in the building has the same amount of time. My life would be better, I'd be happier. Life would be easier if I had more money. In the restaurant last night, when the guy asked, what would I like to eat? I I looked at his head of hair and I thought my life would be better, easier, and a whole lot better if I had hair. I mean, you know, there are people that say my life would be better. It'd be easier. I could be happier if I just got healed. Or maybe if I had a husband. (laughs) Maybe if I didn't have a husband. But how many of you know that life never becomes full of fulfillment and realized potential as long as you believe that your need or something you lack is hindering your progress? Because what's hindering your progress is not outside of you. What's hindering your progress is in you. You can change your address, you can change your nationality, you can change your company, but if you never change you, nothing changes. In 2 Kings chapter 9, there's an interesting story. I'll begin reading in verse number 9. It says, So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on a roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, in other words, what he was saying was, he's brought us out here to kill us. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shephath, is here. And he poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, went down with him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, 
What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter. Somebody say a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. If you give me the next few minutes, I'd like to speak to you. On this subject, God's asking for ditch diggers. I wonder if I got any ditch diggers in Windsor today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll speak into this house today. I thank you for the ability to communicate. Lord, your word is written, but I pray now that you'd make it living. To that end, I give myself and make myself available that you articulate through my words your heart, your purpose, your thoughts. May we not leave here like we came. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. High five three people before you sit down and tell them we're going to dig some ditches. Come on, tell them, would you? You may be seated. Let me just ask a question all over the building and see what kind of response I get. How many of you ever had made plans in life and those plans not turn out the way you wanted? Hold your hand up all over the building. Anybody here? How many of that happened this week? Yeah, come on then. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. If you give me just a few minutes, I'll put it in context because without context, it doesn't have any meaning. And the context is, is that oftentimes we believe that we have strategically planned out our lives and then something happens that we didn't plan for. In fact, I wonder how many people in this room have already got the next five-year or ten-year growth plan for your life and you've not accounted for unexpected things. But yet the Bible declares that the steps of righteous people are ordered by the Lord. He delights in their going. So that means that the things that my life encountered that I wasn't expecting, while they were not on my calendar, they must have been on God's. So there's nothing that ever catches God by surprise. God didn't get up this morning because, first of all, God never goes to sleep, but God never gets up and get shocked by your circumstance. Three kings had come together. They were not necessarily previously friends, but they were three people who now had a common enemy. Isn't it amazing in life how often there are people who used to not even speak to each other, but yet now they get linked up. They become comrades because they have a common battle to fight. In local churches, it's amazing because there's groups of people that used to not like each other, but when they all get offended, they all come together by their offense. These three kings came together because they had a common enemy called Moab. Moab was a very vicious nation that always was at war with the covenanted people of God. So these three kings were the king of Israel, the king of Edom, and the king of Judah. 
So they decided, let's get together. We'll go down, whip Moab. We'll get rid of our common enemy, and then we'll in between ourselves the way we started. And they figured, or they assumed, that this battle won't take very long because we've got three armies against one. And that shouldn't be very bad statistics, or that's, that's pretty good leverage. So this shouldn't take very long at all. The only problem is when they left home to go get the king of Moab or to defeat Moab, which is the nation they were all opposed to, they somehow lost their GPS in the desert and took a wrong turn. And when they took that wrong turn, the Bible says they ended up wandering in a hot desert for seven days with no water and nothing to take care of their men nor their animals. They had left believing they would win a quick victory, move on to the next thing in life, and now they are in a place of desperation. They're stuck. They're stuck in a circumstance they had not planned for. See, I just don't, I don't know, but I felt like God sent me to Windsor Christian Fellowship today because I think there's some people in the room that are stuck in a moment you hadn't planned for. This was not on your calendar, but life has a way of creating cycles or circumstances that bring out the best dysfunction in us all. And so these, these three kings got together. And how many of you know, watch this, when you don't know why something is happening, it's always easy to try to make up some reason. I ain't got no help, but let me try that again, huh? The, the worst thing we do as human beings is we always try to give an explanation for everything, even when we don't know what it is. If you don't know that, you've never been married. Come on, somebody help me, huh? If I don't know why it's happening, I'll at least come up with something. So these three kings get together and decide, you know what, there's got to be a reason for why this thing's going on. And uh, they come up with the bright solution that God brought us out here to kill us. This is what's happened. We were fine when we were at home, but now God has brought us out here to kill us. I wonder how many people in this room have felt like in some point in time in your life that God brought you to a place of difficulty, challenging circumstances, a very adverse environment, and he brought you there because somehow he was trying to judge you, he was trying to destroy you, he was trying to kill something in you that he didn't like. May I suggest to you today, if God really wanted to kill you, he wouldn't have to take you anywhere. Come on, really think about that. If you really believe God wanted to kill you, do you think he'd have to take you to Detroit to do it? No. If he wanted to kill you, he could leave you right here. The truth of the matter is God wasn't trying to kill them. He was trying to get their attention. He wanted to be a part of their life. He wanted to be a part of their journey. Because what these three kings represent is they represent the part in all of us who like to make plans for our life and leave God on the outside of it. In other words, we believe somehow, God, you, you let me be born again. Let me make sure heaven is taken care of, and I'll take it from here. Oh, I ain't got no help. But I, I, I call what, what Dallas Willard, the great theologian, said, he calls it vampire Christianity. We want Jesus' blood and nothing else. I don't really want your direction. I really don't want your authority. I really don't want your lordship. I don't want you really giving, giving me any instructions. I just want your blood to cover me so that I know that I'm okay for eternity. But I really don't need you as any part of my life. Even though the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will. Somebody say, he will. He will direct your path. So these guys did not trust in the Lord. They trusted in their own might, their own power, their own ingenuity, their own 
own talent, their own giftedness, their own educational, their own intellect. They trusted in everything we should never trust in because somehow we believe that's the stuff that's going to get us over. And how many of you know that's just an aid to what God really is going to do inside of you? If you are talented, God will use your talent, but your trust better not be in your talent. And so when those guys got together, they trusted in all that stuff. And God said, I'm not going to let you win this because watch this. If you can do it without God, then more than likely you'll take the credit rather than giving it to him. If you're depressed over something that hasn't happened that you thought should have happened, it's a good sign that you probably would have taken the credit had it succeeded. Selah. Stop thinking about that for a moment. Hmm? See, I, didn't, I, I don't know that out of a book I read. I know that out of personal experience. Because there's been multiple times in my life that I just went ahead and did things. Because I just made assumptions that it would be okay. I'm a pretty smart guy. This will work. And then I got in the middle of it, and it didn't work. In fact, it became very challenging. And what I did in the midst of the challenge, watch this, because sometimes your blessing is not in everything working. Your blessing is when nothing works. You can write this in your notes. Here's the first thing. Any need that you have that drives you to God is not a problem. It's a blessing. Let me try that again. I didn't get any love in that section. Let me try over here. Any, any need that you have in life that drives you to God is not a problem. It's a blessing. If it makes you look to God... That's not a curse or a problem. It's a blessing. Because at the end of the day, God wants a relationship. Let me ask you a question. How many of you pray more when you're in trouble? Hold your hand up. Be honest. How many of you pray more when you're in trouble? That's why you stay in trouble. <laughs> because God wants to have a conversation. So if the only way he can have a conversation is to get you in trouble, he just keeps letting trouble show up at your house. Hmm? Because any need that I have in my life that pushes me towards God is not a problem. It's actually a blessing. And what we have to learn is we have to learn how to look at the adverse situations of our life and not misinterpret them. Because that's what those guys did. Those guys said God's out here to kill us. God was out there bringing them to a place of revealing how much he wanted to be with them. My wife has had a... Uh, interior design business for several years and she doesn't do so much anymore, but she's tried to work with me. <laughs> I have very little interior design creativity. To me, it's a wall. Paint it. I don't care what color it is. Paint it. Put my chair there and my television and paint it. I don't care. I thought beds were made for sleeping in. But they're really, they're really gatherers of pillows. She said, look at these wonderful pillows I got. <laughs> we don't even use them. They're not pillows you lay your head on. They just sit on top of the bed. So anyway, I'm, I'm learning. I'm a great learner. I'm learning. Praise the Lord. Hmm? Every man in the room said amen, huh? But my, my, my wife began to teach me that, that, that there are certain things you can do that change actually value and one of the things is framework framework she said you can take a picture that's not very expensive but put it in the right frame and you'll make it valuable 
to the eye of the beholder, it'll become valuable. But you can take a picture or a piece of artwork that is very, very expensive and put it in a cheap frame and you miss, you cause the value to be misplaced of the picture that you're looking at. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number three says this, for by faith we know that the worlds were framed by a word from God. Framed, framed, framed. Somebody say framed. Look at your neighbor and say, you've been framed. Come on, just tell them, you've been framed. You've been framed. The worlds were framed by a word from God. That word worlds, everybody say worlds. That word worlds there is not referring to Genesis chapter 1. He's not talking about the creative order. It's the word eons in the Greek language. It has to do with lifetimes or lifespans. Because he's just finished talking about, or he's going to begin to talk about all these people, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. He's talking about these lifetimes were framed by a word from God. See, every person in life has to learn how to take the picture that life has dealt them and put the right frame on it, or you will devalue something God meant to be valuable. You will take and reduce your value and the value of what God wants to do in your life because you've not framed it properly. That's what happened to Joseph. How many of you know Joseph had a dream? That dream was a pretty powerful dream. But from that dream, he was put in a pit. He was sold into prison. He was betrayed by friends. He was lied on by a woman. He ended up being forgotten by friends. And he spent the next 13 years of his life in prison trying to work out the details of what his dream had brought him to. How many of you know after all those years you could throw up your hands and quit and say, man, my dream liked to kill me. God must not care. That was a tease. God was just trying to tease me with something. This dream is not really real. There's some of you in this room that have a real dream in your life, but it's taken you into places that are very difficult and very adverse. But Joseph knew how to put a frame on the picture of his life because when his brothers finally got there, after all of those years when his dream had come to pass, this is what he said to them. He didn't say God brought me down here because he'd hated something in me or he wanted to kill something in me. He said this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He had to reframe his life to recognize the only way I could save my family in a famine was to get transported down into Egypt. Oh, I'm, 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 let me just go a little bit further. I'm going to hurry real quickly. But how many of you know Moses had to reframe his life? Moses was adopted. He could have cursed his adoption, but he learned how to reframe his life because, see, had he been raised in his house of his family, he would have thought like a slave because his family were slaves. But he had an assignment to be in the deliverer, and deliverers don't normally do so by being with a slave mentality. So God picked him up out of his neighborhood, allowed him to be raised up in the house of a Pharaoh so he could think like a leader, think like a commander, think like a deliverer so that he could accomplish the purpose for which he was born. Some of the things that you thought happened in your life to destroy you and to kill you were only God's assignment to bring out of you the things you were purposed for, and you've got to reframe that picture and see God working in your life. So all of a sudden these kings get there, seven days, no water, nothing. Their animals are thirsty. The, the, the soldiers are thirsty because they're all walking. The kings are riding. But the, the, the men are walking, no water, nothing, seven days. 
they were ready to quit. People were, 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 were frustrated. And one looked at the other one and said, is there not a prophet here? I mean, it's sort of like us today. We, when, we, we go to God after everything else doesn't work. I ain't got no help. Hmm? Man, I tried this, I tried that. Well, let's go to church. Is there not a prophet here? And finally, the one prophet of Israel, the king of Israel spoke up and said, yeah, there's a prophet here. His name is Elisha, and he's, he's down in his house. And the other king said, well, let's go talk to him because we need a word from God. Because when nothing else can fix your life, a word from God can forever fix you. We need a word from God. So they all take off and they go down to Elisha's house. Now, when I get to heaven, there's certain people I want to meet. I mean, I, I, I want to see Jesus, but I know Jesus. I mean, I know him now. I, and I want to see Jesus, but I want to see some of these other people. Hmm? Like, I want to see Sarah. I want to see a woman at 90 years of age men are still hitting on. That's in the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. I want to put that in a bottle and sell it. Whatever it was, I want that. Hmm? I, want, I, want to, I want to meet Elisha. Elisha was a little bit of a, he was, he was sarcastic. I mean, he was, he, was a, he was God's man. He wasn't just totally sanctified. I mean, he, God was still working on him, but he had a little bit of sarcasm in him. These three kings, listen to what I'm saying. He's just a prophet. These are three kings. You know, y'all act like you see kings every day. I said, this is three kings <laughs> with three armies show up at his tent. And they go in and tell Elisha, hey, three kings are out here. And Elisha goes, nah, I'm watching TV. That's not in the Bible, but it's, I mean, you know, he's just, no. I mean, and then they, they finally get him to come outside. And he actually said to them, what, what, what are you all coming to me for? Why don't you go back and talk to all the other false gods you've been chasing forever? Just go talk to them. I ain't got time for you. I ain't got time for this. And finally they come out, and he looks at the three kings. He sees the king of Israel. I don't like you. Sees the king of Edom, and I especially don't like you. And there's the king, of, king called Jehoshaphat. Somebody say Jehoshaphat. I mean, you know, your mama's got to be pretty upset on the day she names you Jehoshaphat. Can you imagine going to first grade? What's your name? I'm Jehoshaphat. Whew. And here's what he said. He said, were it not that I regard Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah. Judah means praise. He said, had I not regarded the king of praise, I wouldn't even talk to you all. Because how many of you understand that God always is attracted to people who know how to praise in the most adverse days of their life? See, when you find a true worshiper, you can't tell whether they had a good day or a bad day. You won't be able to tell on Sunday whether they had a good week or a bad week. Because people that are true worshipers will recognize that when they come through the door that I am victorious whether I look like it or not. Hallelujah. And I'm going to throw my hands in the air and I'm going to worship and I'm going to give thanks because I know God is with me even when I can't see him. I know he's here and I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I wonder if anybody in the room has got a praise that's on the inside of you that you could give him this morning. Come on. I'm going to give you 10 seconds just to give him a great 
big praise. Hallelujah. So he looks at the king of Jehosh- King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and he said, "Because I regard you, then I will see. Uh, I, I, I will. I, I will give you a word." And then he does something that it's like blows my mind. I mean, you're looking at an army of people that for seven days have walked in a desert with no water. You got horses that are about to die. You got you got people that have run out of energy. They're frustrated, and Elisha looks at them and says. Bring me a musician. You got to be kidding me, Elisha. We're about to die of thirst, and you want mood music. So somebody bring me a musician. It was not uncommon in the Old Testament for prophets to constantly ask, musicians we called them minstrels it's the same reason why David was able to go into Saul's presence when he was tormented and bring a harp and bring minstrels because listen to me some of the reason we never get the answers we're looking for is we keep trying to find them in the wrong kind of atmosphere Until you change the atmosphere of your life, you'll never change the trajectory of your life. Everything God does, everything in the world comes out of sound. Sound. When God got ready to create the world, he didn't head to his shop. God doesn't speak to just talk. He speaks to communicate, to create, to create. Every time he speaks, something creative comes forward. God creates by the power of his word. If you go to study even the smallest elements in our world today, the the chairs you're sitting on, they've got molecules and they've got atoms, but there's something even smaller than the atom. And the thing that's inside of an atom is called a quark. And a quark is nothing more than sound waves. Inside that chair today is sound waves. It's moving. Everything in the world has sound waves in it still. They just finished, I don't know how many of you read, even the, 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 the telescopes that are doing the listening and everything on the Mars expedition has found out that there's sound in heaven. The heavens are constantly the sound. And it's constantly, they say it's ever-expanding. Why? Because once a word is released, it has nothing to stop it. It just keeps creating. Wherever it goes, it just keeps creating. When God wanted light, he didn't get a flashlight. He said, let there be. Light came. Hallelujah. And how many of you know when he speaks, am I doing all right? Can I keep going? How many of you know when he speaks a word, he can speak a word and bring it into existence without any supporting cast? When he said, let there be light, how many of you understand that he wasn't talking about the light of a sun because the sun wasn't created until the fourth day? He can bring forth something that has no source because he's God. And when God speaks into the affairs of your life and my life, he can create things that have never been made before and they don't even have to have a supporting cast in order for them to become reality. 
Because, see, sometimes you have to just change the atmosphere in your house. If you want a different life, make a different sound. You can't live forever in negativity and actually live out victory. I ain't got no help in here right now. It's just everywhere. It's just death and life are in the power of your tongue. By your words, you're justified. By your words, you're condemned. How do you set the atmosphere of your life? You set the atmosphere of your life by what comes out of your mouth. Because you can be in the midst of hell and begin to speak the blessings of God. And God can change everything around you while everything external. Be, am I doing all right? All of a sudden, he calls for a minstrel, and Elisha stands up, and he says this. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you. All these men are tired. They're wore out. And God gives them a command. Manual labor. you got to be kidding me. Do you understand we haven't had anything to drink for seven days? And you want me to go dig ditches. Dig some ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. See, here's my second point. The thing that you need to recognize is that, Pastor Rick shared it earlier, is that your breakthrough, your miracle, your answer is always on the other side of obedience to a simple instruction. You keep looking for God to give you something that's really complicated to do. And God just gives simple instructions. Come on, somebody. I don't get any, I can't have any peace in my life. And I'm, I'm offended and I'm angry. And God gives a simple instruction. Forgive them. I can't do that. I need five appointments with some counselor and I need to go through some all kinds of medicine because, I, I mean, after all, that's, that's a whole lot more sophisticated. I'm not knocking any of that. What I'm saying is oftentimes your miracle is just on the other side of simple obedience. Simple obedience to a simple instruction. All through the Bible, Jesus worked miracles not by asking people to do complicated things. He asked them to do simple things. That were a response to his, his word. He said to a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. See, we somehow in church have, have got this mentality. God will never ask me to do something I can't do. Are you kidding me? He called a dead man to come here. How many of them you seen lately? Lazarus, come here. Okay. Oh, man with a withered hand, stretch it out. How many of you know the guy with the withered hand could have went, I can't. My hand's withered. But obedience to a simple instruction brought a miracle. Make this valley full of ditches. See, listen to me closely. In a download world, we don't like to dig. We like miracles on demand. I don't have time for that today, but I can make it. You know, that's, that's the amazing thing with our world today. If you missed the TV show today, that's okay. Don't want to worry about it. Go on Netflix tomorrow. 
It's on demand. So we treat God as an on-demand God. When it's convenient for me, I'll get around to it. See, I'm not, I'm not a traveling evangelist. I pastor a church. I pastor a local church. It's one of the few Sundays I'm away. I'm here. I deal with people with brokenness every day. Amazing, amazing people who've come through difficult situations. I deal with parents who say to me, you know what? I want my kids to be amazing kids. I don't want my kids to be another statistic. I want my kids to grow up to serve God. I want my kids to have character, have integrity. I want them to fulfill the purpose for which they were born. And I'll send them to my student pastor. And, and he'll say to them, man, we want to help your child. Here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that they're in the student ministry meeting on Wednesday night or Sunday night. Oh, no, I, I don't have time. I, I can't do that. I mean, don't you? I work six days a week. I can't. Make another trip. Drive five miles back down here again to bring them to some youth meeting? I ain't got time to dig that. I don't have time for that. Just simple instructions. Put them in the right atmosphere. You'll drive them to school five days a week. You'll educate their brain and leave their spirit dead and hope they become champions for God. It's okay. I look, at, I look at young men in my church. I got about 35% of my church is, is single adults. Some of them never been married. Some of them been married more times than I got fingers. They're not, they're not great marrying kind of people, some of them. Some of those guys come to me and say, I need a wife. And I say, no, what you need is a break. <laughs> you don't need a wife. And the next time you decide to choose one, somebody else needs to be doing the choosing because you ain't very good. But I look at some of my young men, I say, they say, well, I'd really like to get married. And I go, Bubba, let me help you. You're 26 years old living in your mama's basement. You watch video, play video games for about 12 hours a day. You don't even know how to iron a shirt. You don't even have a shirt that's got a collar on it. If you want to get a wife, you need to get up, learn how to do something with your life, learn how to do some laundry, learn how to iron a shirt, get yourself dressed up, learn how to dig some ditches. I can tell some of you are glad I'm not your pastor and just your guest speaker. But just simple. This is not, a, this is not complicated. I really need to get my finances in order. Great, I want to help you. Tithe. Oh, my God. No, it's simple. Very simple instructions. Bring to me all the tithe and open, see if I not open the windows of heaven over you. Pour out blessings you can't contain. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. You won't spend five weeks in the doctor's office next year. I'll cause all the money you spend on the doctor to be taken care of because I'll keep you in health. Your, your 19, uh, 2012 uh, Toyota will last three extra years so that you don't have to buy. Come on, somebody help me. Why? Just simple. Dig a ditch. Dig a ditch. And watch what happens. See, here's why. Because the Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse number 10, this is what Jesus said. I started to say it's in the red, so it's what Jesus said. But it's amazing. He's the, he said all of it. He is the word. 
He didn't just say part of it. But anyway, this is a quote from him that Luke gives. He that is faithful in the little will be faithful in much. He that's unfaithful in little will be unfaithful in much. So what does that mean? That means that God was saying through Elisha to those guys, you show me your faith by being faithful. And when you show me your faith by being faithful, I'll show you my faithfulness by being powerful. Because all faith has to have a corresponding action. Don't tell me you have it. Show me you have it. Hundreds of people have gone through our mentoring program. And they all come to me and say, God's called me too. You fill in the blank. God's called me to be a businessman. God's called me to be a missionary. God's called me to be a prophet. God's called me to be a doctor. God's called me. And I said, Romans chapter 12 said that if you ever get your head in the right place, get renewed in your mind, then here's how, this is why you do that. So you can prove the will of God. You've been called to be a doctor? Prove it. Don't tell it to me. Go to school. Prove it. You've been called to be an apostle? Prove it. The Bible says prove the will of God. In other words, make it demonstrable. Dig some ditches. You ready for water? Dig some ditches. My friend Steve Furtick, who I was just with this week, he makes a statement in one of his books. He says this. He said the two things that cause people to get stuck in life at bad places is first of all, they don't dream big enough. Their dreams aren't big enough. So there's some people in this room, God sent me to you this morning to say to you this, the reason the things you've prayed for have not come to pass is because your prayers were too limited. There's some things I prayed for that I'm thankful God didn't answer. Because had he answered that, I couldn't be doing this. Sometimes we pray out of a finite position and God answers out of an infinite wisdom. Can you trust him enough that when he says no or doesn't respond, can you still keep? That's why I had Joey sing that song anyway. Can you pray when nothing seems to be coming the way that you thought it should? Will you pray anyway? Will you trust anyway? Come on, somebody, huh? Will you still dig ditches when there's no clouds in the sky? See, Elisha told those guys there will be neither sign of wind, there won't be any rain, but there's going to be water. So, so the people that say, you know what, when I see the clouds gathering, I'll start digging ditches, they're going to be too late. Because there was never a cloud. There was never any wind. There was never any rain. Because God doesn't need all of the supporting cast in order to bring you your answer. What he needs is your obedience to a simple instruction. And when you obey the simple instruction, he will provide the power to do what's necessary. Get your dream bigger. Come on, look at your neighbor and say dream bigger. Come on, just say dream bigger. He said the reason people get stuck, first of all, is because people don't dream big enough. But he said the primary reason, the second reason that people get stuck in life is they're not willing to start small enough. They keep waiting for big opportunities. 
and they're not willing to be faithful with a shovel because they're waiting to kill an army. And God says, if you'll be faithful with a shovel, I can show you my power. Zechariah said it this way, and I'm done. Zechariah said, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 10, he said, do not despise the day of small things. Sometimes you believe that the the thing that God's saying to you seems so insignificant. What difference does that make? But don't despise the places of faithfulness in small things. Because big doors swing on little hinges. And when you become obedient to small things, God brings big results. All over this room this morning, so we get ready to pray in just a moment. I wonder how many people in this room today will be honest enough to say, Bishop, I'm in a life crisis moment. I had plans, but they didn't turn out like I planned them. But I recognize today that my circumstance has not come to destroy me or to take me under. My circumstance is really pushing me towards God. And I'm going to quit calling it a problem and start calling it my blessing. Because if it's making me chase God, it must be a blessing. It must be a blessing. See, sometimes God will send your blessing through everything you hate. Don't you think soldiers, the last thing they want to do is dig a ditch? But it was the obedience to a simple instruction that brought them their miracle. I want to help somebody today. I really want to help somebody across this room. Pastor Joey's going to sing a song about God taking us higher, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to give an invitation to pray. I just want you to listen to the words of this song. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you, because there's some folks in this room that, listen, when you get home today, if something doesn't change in your house, you know your marriage is in trouble. But you don't have downloadable wives and downloadable husbands. You only get a, Kathy and I just celebrated 39 years of marriage, 39 years. And our marriage was like, it was heavenly. It was mostly thunder and lightning. Two people in any close proximity is called friction. I found out that if we was going to survive 39 years, we had to dig some ditches. There's some things we had to do. Somewhere along the line, we've bought into a, a concept that God does everything and we do nothing. But your faith has to be demonstrable. God, I'm willing to put my hand to the plow. I'm willing to dig whatever ditch you ask me. Because I need a miracle. In Jesus' name. We have never been this way before. Lord, we enter in 
All over this room, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, people respond and stand. I'm asking people in this room today who will say, Bishop, I've got some things in my life didn't turn out the way I thought they should. I recognize that my problem is pushing me to God today, and I'm ready for it to become a blessing. I want to reframe my life today around His goodness. He works all things together for my good. I'm ready to put action to what I believe. If that's you and you're in this room, when I get to three, I want you to stand on your feet. I'm going to pray for you all over the room. One, two, three, wherever you're at, just stand. Just stand. I want to pray for you. Take me higher. Take me higher. Draw me Here's how I'm going to pray before Pastor Rick comes. If you'll give me just a minute of your attention. There are people in this room today that God is drawing your heart to Him. It's not about Him just drawing you to church. He brought you to church to get you to Him. He's awakened you to the inefficiency and the lack of sufficiency of your own life. So that you can find he is everything you need. There's some of you in this room. He's bringing you from a place of mixture where you've trusted other things and God. To a place where you'll trust him and him alone. The Bible says some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we'll remember the name of the Lord our God. Some of you in here have never had a relationship with Jesus. The greatest act of faith is to put your confidence in what Christ did for you on the cross. And when you put your confidence in that, the 
the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, your life transforms. You said, that doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't see anything different. I don't see God. Those men that day had to dig a ditch when there was no clouds, no wind, and no rain. And the Bible says that when they acted on what they believed, they got up the next morning and the ditches were full of water. And God defeated their enemies. I'm asking you a question. What would happen today in your home, in your life, in your family? If you just acted on what you believe God was saying to you, when there was no evidence, but you trusted him, that's what's going to happen today. Are you ready? I got three people. I said, are you ready? I want you to do something. I'm going to pray. And Pastor Rick's going to come and give instructions for the protocol of this house. There's one sign recognized all over the world, no matter what country you go to. And that is when you throw both hands in the air, it says, I surrender. Some of you may not, may, may not be physically able, but if you're physically able, I'm not asking you to give up to me today. I'm asking you to say, Jesus, I'm giving up to you. What I've been doing ain't working, but I'm going to give up to you today. Would you throw both hands in the air while I pray for you today? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. For your amazing grace and your amazing goodness, I thank you that you have not brought us to this place to destroy us, but you've brought us to this place to reveal your goodness and to reveal your power and to make your name known in our life. Jesus, we trust you today. We turn our life completely to you. We trust you in all that we do. We quit leaning to our own understanding and we trust you in all that we do. I pray for people all over this room, individuals, families, households today that are in the crisis of their life. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will reframe their world and see that you have a greater purpose than they ever imagined. I ask you today to cause water to appear when there's no rain. I ask you to bring victories when there seems to be no way. Make a way when there seems to be no way possible. Because as we, when we act in faith, you do what we can't do. And I thank you for it. Today, I purpose in my heart, I'm going to be a ditch digger. In Jesus' name. All the ditch diggers, would you give him a great big shout of praise as Pastor Rick comes? Wow. 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 Thank you, Bishop Tony. How many were ministered today by the Word of God?